Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, today's episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of digital audiobooks. Over at Audible, there are hundreds of thousands of titles in just about every genre imaginable. And right now, you can get a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash other people. That's audibletrial.com slash O-T-H-E-R-P-E-O-P-L-E. You have to spell it out the traditional way, audibletrial.com slash other people. Go get yourself a free audiobook. Listen to it while you uh, move around in the world. These are audiobooks. You can listen to them. Go and get one. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one person at just one time. Okay, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is one man talking to three women about clothing. This is uh, trying in some way to be fashionable. How are you today? How's it going out there? I'm Brad Listy. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles. It's very nice to be with you. And I'm very excited about today's episode. It's a little bit unique uh, in the history of this program with respect to format. Uh, Under normal circumstances, as many of you know, I'm sitting here talking one-on-one with a writer or some such literary human being. And uh, in this particular episode, I had the opportunity to speak in person with three very talented writers, Sheila Hetty, Heidi Julevitz, and Leanne Shapton. Together, they are the editors of the best-selling book, Women in Clothes, now available uh, from Blue Rider Press. The book features uh, contributions from more than 600 writers, including notables like Cindy Sherman, Kim Gordon, uh, Calpona, actor, and please forgive me if I mispronounce that, Sarah Nicole Prickett, Tabby Gevinson, Miranda July, Roxanne Gay, Lena Dunham, Mira Gonzalez, and Molly Ringwald. So uh, it's a very interesting book, and it was a delight to have those guys uh, here in the home office, and you're going to hear me talking to them in just a second. And I should admit, before we get going, that I was more nervous about this episode than uh, I have been about an interview in a long time, maybe ever. And I think the reasons for that are, you know, are threefold. First of all, just basic technology concerns. Uh, three guests sitting here. My setup, if you can picture it, is very simple. I have two microphones. I know nothing about technology. I'm in my apartment. 
So having three guests uh, and only two microphones, there's one for me, there's one for them. They have to share the mic. One of them, uh, it was Leanne sitting in the middle, was holding the microphone. And uh, so you will hear a little bit of microphone jostling. And, uh, you know, I tried to edit out most of it. It's certainly not uh, an overwhelming problem, but I do want to let you know about it just in case you're wondering. Secondly, three people. That particular dynamic uh, gave me some pause because uh, obviously it's a little bit more psychologically involved as the host when you're talking to three people at once as opposed to one. And then uh, third and most important was the simple fact that I'm, uh, you know, I was sitting here talking to three uh, very bright, very talented female writers about women and uh, clothing, which are admittedly two subjects that I know very little about. So uh, fortunately for me, they were, uh, they made it easy on me. They were a delight and uh, I had a lot of fun having them here and I hope that I acquitted myself decently. But of course, you know, you'll get the chance to evaluate my performance and cast judgment in just a minute. So let's just do it. Let's not, uh, I'm not going to mess around today. I'm not going to talk about anything else. I don't feel like it. I know you guys probably want me to comment on uh, Ed Champion and literary scandals, but I'm not doing it today. I don't have the juice. Let me think about it some more. You know? There's other stuff too, but I'm not even going to mention what it is because I don't feel ready yet. I need some time. <laughs> it takes me a while to process things, perhaps more than most, but I want to think it through before I start shooting my mouth off. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. So let's get going with the show. Let's get going with my conversation with Sheila Hetty, Heidi Julevitz, and Leanne Shapton. Uh, once again, they are the editors of Women in Clothes. It's out there from Blue Rider Press right now. It's a New York Times bestseller, and uh, I just had a great time talking with them, and I hope you guys enjoy uh, this conversation, uh, a conversation between a confused straight white male and three uh, extremely bright women about women in clothes. So, okay. <laughs> Leah's dressed my bra just, my bra just peeped out. Oh, that's all right. And so, so I should start too. Let's do this in like kind of an E, yeah. E style network. Like who, right. who are you wearing today? Heidi. Oh, well, okay. So we're going to, we're going to practice this on you, I suppose. So yeah. we, we all, feel, well, not all of us, just two of the three of us feel very self-conscious right now because, um, for the most part, we've just been wearing, 
the crap in our suitcases, right, um, to all of our launches. And we haven't – I don't think we've looked particularly – I don't want to say we haven't looked particularly good. I saw some. We've, We've looked the way looked, we look in yeah. everyday life. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, not so glossy. Yeah, we haven't looked very glossy. At any rate, um, a contributor to our book is uh, her name is Rachel Comey, and she is a fashion designer and um, a really amazing person who has been supportive of us, and we want to be supportive of her. Anyways, we had like some late night giddy moment where we were like, "Let's ask Rachel to send us some clothes," <laughs> and and because she actually had offered to send us some clothes, and we demurred. And then when we were in Montreal, we said we were so stupid. Yeah. So, anyways, we have all. All these hilarious photographs of us opening this big box of clothes in bathing we're wearing bathing suits and she, every, she from new us. york to los angeles <laughs> yes yeah, so we get this box here of clothes and so that is what we are wearing right that's now. that's cool i feel i feel like you should be getting some clothes like i mean that seems like a good i mean after doing all this work and putting together this amazing book and i mean I sheila i think we have to give these back oh, oh yeah these are loners yeah no this is actually this is the most we're still writers we're not actresses wait tell us this is the most LA, it actually is an LA thing where yes. there, we're like actresses. We are being loaned clothes, so we look. I mean, yeah, yeah, we might buy some. But wait, I'm sorry. So maybe you can um, enlighten us. So the celebrities get to keep their clothes. Well, I think I've heard like no, they I've, don't. You know, I've heard yeah, but I've heard stories of like celebrities like just the kind of swiping them after being oh. on like a movie set, and it's actually not supposed to be that way. But they just take them home. Uh, that, that's my hope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. maybe she'll like conveniently forget she ever sent them and you'll get to You sent so many. <laughs> so okay, so Heidi who who are you wearing? So yes, yeah, so her Rachel Comey. Okay, that's her. I, okay. I am wearing Rachel. Okay. She's, yes. She designed this outfit. She designed this outfit. And, and actually, okay, it. so then the other thing, well, I have it. It's big and black, and and um, it makes me feel like I'm a much more glamorous person than I am in real life. And, like, you can find me at the Chateau Marmont by the pool <laughs> later today. That's what this dress says about me. Yes. Um, but then, actually, the shoes I'm wearing are actually some uh, espadrilles that um, I tasked a friend who was going to Barcelona. And I was like, there's this amazing store. Please go to Barcelona and buy me some espadrilles because it was one of those uh, stores. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these stores where the people refuse to sell you what's in the store. Has that ever happened to you before? You go no. in, they're, they're basically like... <laughs> That's not a store. <laughs> they're like, you're, you're not worthy... No. Okay. And so I went into this Espadil store and I was basically told in Catalan, I guess, you are not worthy. No. So then I sent my friend. I said, maybe you're worthy. Maybe you could get me some Espadrilles. And she did. And she did. Isn't that, isn't that where um, Salvador Dali got his shoes? Yes, it was. Who, wait, at the same store? Yeah. What's oh. the name of the store? It's called Salvador Dali's Espadrille store. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leanne, who are, and you're wearing Rachel Comey's No, I'm, I'm in fact not. I, uh, I'm wearing a... Dress. I must have gotten some kind of thrift or secondhand store. Um, and, and describe it. It's a pink. I mean, both you and yeah, Heidi. Yeah, it's a pinky purple. It's like the color of a it's, grape popsicle. Yeah. Um, and it was good for it was good for breastfeeding because um, I uh, have a baby that's exactly the same age as our book. Oh, really? And which is two? Eighteen months. Nineteen 18, months. Okay, yeah. congrats. Um, and so yeah, the V neck that uh, just a minute ago exposed me boob um and beneath that i'm wearing some pink track pants that okay. i actually forgot that i had put on but um someone came to my door and i wasn't wearing pants so i threw these on to answer the door and a shirt and uh, <laughs> then kept them on okay. and white sneakers and there you go sheila 
Um, I'm also wearing a Rachel Comey dress because <laughs> this, this is a very exciting experience to have a box sent. And also on top of it is a sweater, a black sweater that I got at a store that is in my neighborhood right before our book launch in Toronto. And uh, my friend Margot and I joke that we get all our clothes from this store. It's like... And this the is clo- the Margot this from is, your book. Yes, the Margot. Yeah. We always like realize we're wearing the same socks as each other and things like that because we're so lazy. <laughs> it's like the one store in our neighborhood <laughs> where we can like reliably go get socks and sweaters and um so And what's I, the name of the store did you say? It's there's a hotel called the Drake and it's the Drake store so it's like a gift shop. It's where people go if they need to buy clothes <laughs> or like presents or baby things and everything there is it's not too expensive. I guess it's a little expensive but it's good quality and right um it's better than there's going no to like choice. target yeah. yeah and they have like two sweaters so you you're in you put on a sweater you, what i, I did never, was it's like eating from it's like that stage in your life where you eat from the 7-eleven you're buying all your clothes in a gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> i feel like i mean if you, i'm making you guys do this is there anything else that you have yet to describe no, no. okay mm-hmm. uh, i'm wearing uh, the gap yeah. <laughs> Just a, a blue T-shirt, <laughs> and then I'm wearing some uh, rag and bone jeans, mm-hmm. which I like. It's hard for me to find a fit. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to talk about fashion in an open no, way. You're doing a great is, job. Okay, yeah. and then some chucks. But and is there and a wedding ring? And a wedding, and a wedding, and a wedding ring. ring. Yeah. Yes, yes, and a wedding. Accessorizing. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So if we give you the treatment we did with our book, we'd say, well, what was the story behind finding the rag and bone jeans? Yeah. Not just like tell us what they are. And well, the, what my so, wife would so tell you, if, if I was going to be totally candid, what I would always say is that I go shopping. My wife and I met. The first thing we did together was go shopping for jeans. Whoa. Because I was wearing, at the time of our, of our meeting, some Hugo Boss jeans that were bad jeans, mm. which is what a mutual friend of ours. What and does that mean? Define. Just ill-fitting, ill-colored, high, maybe high, too high-waisted. <laughs> Cute. Not, not, but not pleated. <laughs> just bad. Crotchless? No. <laughs> yes, right. Crotchless. <laughs> uh, with let you know. No, but it was just, they were just bad. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I really am, I freeze up. Mm-hmm. Some guys, you know, and, and I'm sure you you guys know this. There are men who are very good at fashion, mm-hmm. who feel comfortable. Uh, I'll have more to say on that in just a minute. But like for me, it creates anxiety. Uh, a, because I don't necessarily like the process of shopping. And then B, it's like all this choice. I just want it to be over with. I, you know, I want someone to tell me what to do, essentially. Mm-hmm. I would be, were I that wealthy, I would be the person who would have the personal shopper. Mm-hmm. And I would love it. Just to love someone to bring me stuff. I think most people would probably like that. Who is an ex- No? No. Nah. I don't know. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. Sheila would. I'd like that. Yeah. You would want someone who has a sense of what you like and isn't trying to, like, dress you up like a doll, but someone who just goes and does the dirty work and then brings it and, like, tells you what looks good. But Mm -hmm. so anyway. I recommend Leanne for that uh, position. (laughs) You're good at that? I am pretty good at it, weirdly. Some people have it, and I don't. But so... Uh, you know, my wife and I went out. We got some jeans. It's it's a tough fit. I'm one of these people who's tough to fit. But so. wait, you you so you but you said you met your wife. Yeah, we well we went out. I was like, do you want to go shopping with me on a date? Whoa. Kind of. And then oh. we were, yeah, it was a very <laughs> seamless. Like when we first met, I she was babysitting my dog Merlin, who's up there. That painting of him. Sweet. He was actually dying of cancer. <laughs> unbeknownst to me he was just incontinent and i didn't realize it and i didn't want to leave him in my apartment because i didn't want him to shit all over my apartment and so i texted her and i was like would you watch my dog because she worked from home and so i drove by her place dropped off my dog who was incontinent and i was running (laughs) late i was running late to teach and i had forgotten to put on socks 
And I just walked into her apartment and was like, can I borrow some socks? Like, like totally unlike me. Ah, but it was like instant. Wow. I was like wearing her socks and then she had my dog and then we were shopping for jeans. It was very quick. But there's like a story before that because how come you knew her to text her to take care of your dog? Your shitting dog. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we had a mutual friend who introduced us and then I got her I am and then she's she's like really good on text and I am. Oh. And um, I think seductive. I'm, I'm best at a distance too. <laughs> it was perfect. I'm, we had, I'm also trying to envision. I can't imagine my husband wearing any of my socks. Just saying. I don't. Was, I mean, like what? It was a stretch. It, yeah. They were just like little. You know, I stretched them. She doesn't have. My wife does not have abnormally large feet. Okay, <laughs> that was what I was secretly no. trying to get at. <laughs> She's a monster. Um, <laughs> no. So anyway, it was just like this really quick thing. But I, um, I am big on jeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm going to confess to you guys a lot of thoughts that this I have is, about men's This fashion. is what we want. This is what we've been doing for okay. the last two years. Uh, I will spend on jeans. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few things that like, I will go out and say, I don't care. I want the right fit because I wear them every day. I yeah. wear them every day. And so it's like if I wear something every day, I can justify, I think these are like $200 blue jeans, mm-hmm. which seems ridiculous, but you wear it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, amortize, like, amortize. Exactly, it's worth it. It's like amortize a nickel, a nickel a day for Wasn't your. There's somebody in our book who said that she and her sister talk about the CPW of clothes. Oh, yeah. Cost yeah. It was wear. Rachel Perry. Yeah, Rachel Perry Welty, the, also the artist who did the fixes page in the book. Yeah, CPW. That, yeah. I, I like the CPW concept. I, I adhere to that, and so um, that's big to me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm one of those people who sort of wears the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. In kind of like a monk-like fashion, um, it, I feel like it might be indicative of some something not good. No, that's, that's your style. Uni- it's a uniform. It's that's like good. a uniform. You don't have to think yeah. about it. No, that's exactly what I want. A lot of people have that, and I think it's if you don't want to think about it, you just decide what you like, and then you just like you say, do you wear always black t-shirts and blue or navy jeans? blue? Mm-hmm. I know those colors. Like I don't want to wear like I'm not going to wear orange. You know, yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, these, these fit me. I know I like them. So I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, just give me 20 of them. See, but this is why you should fill out our survey on our website, womeninclothes.com, because right now you're telling, you're describing what you do every day to us, but you seem to have a little bit of shame or guilt or you feel like you could be better. (laughs) And I think like, if you were to ask all of us what changed for us doing this book, like, I feel like I kind of felt the way you did. I had some sense that I had some habits, but for some reason I felt there was something wrong with them or it was indicative of something that needed to be improved upon or fixed. And by filling out the survey, we felt this way. And I think most of the people who filled out the survey for the book felt this way. And people who are doing it on the website now feel is that it, it allows you to, um, kind of, I don't want to say come to terms with what you decide to do, but it allows you to kind of honor it and realize like, no, I have a system. There's a reason for this system. It's, um, it's idiosyncratic. It's very much, because of my life, because of um, some, you know, emotional connection I have, or um, it's a decision that you've made that's very personal. And so then suddenly it can't be uh, judged as wrong or lacking. Well, it's an interesting point because, you know, it's very easy, I think, and I think a lot of guys do this, to be dismissive of fashion. A lot of people do it, but guys in particular say, I don't even pay attention to that. I I don't engage with it at all. And the truth is, is that by not engaging with it, you are engaging with it somehow. By, oh, yeah. d- by you know wearing a uniform and being like really like uh, sim- simple about your choices, it's still a choice. It still says yeah, something. You're, I, think, you're- I think there's like a Hegel quote about like that's what Hegel did. Um, I'm not erudite enough to c- recall <laughs> it, but right. you started out that uh, 
you started out talking about how you think you, I think you might have said, "Oh, I don't have style," but then you gave you. I think you spoke for five minutes straight right. with all these stories, well, see, and yeah. it went into dogs and incontinence and <laughs> women's stockings and like that. It's been so like that comes back to the book too because you can imagine the amount of material we got back when we did ask really personal questions about people's clothes. Sure, because that's what they would say. That's mm-hmm. what they would write. It was amazing. Okay, so um, I want to ask you guys, Sheila. I'll go to you. Um, in doing the book, because this is another component of my personal system that I'm curious about. Uh, and I've mentioned this before, but when I go out, um, or wherever I live, I will want to blend. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the summer I spent in Europe, I was suddenly like, I want some campers and I want to make sure I look more Euro, but like, I never explicitly (laughs) said this. And then I lived in Colorado for college and I was like, suddenly wearing fleece and growing my hair out. And, you know, it was like, mm. wherever I live, I want to, like, t- I do not ever want to be noticed for what I wear. I want to blend in and be yeah. normal. Is that something there's, you came across? That we, there's, a, there's a chapter in the book called Mandates of Place. And so what we, one thing that we did with the survey was we took um, um, snippets, like the you know, paragraphs that we really liked and put them into categories, like 40s or sisters or strangers or fathers and mandate to place was exactly what you're talking about how a place changes what you wear and i was just mentioning this to heidi today we walked we were walking around and and i remembered somebody filling out the survey saying whenever i travel whenever you travel to another place oh no i think it was your interview with kieran desai and she she said um because she goes to where does she go she goes to india a lot and she comes back to new york and other places she's a writer she travels around she's like whenever i get off the plane i never look right and you can't and she's like you try to dress for another city and then you arrive and you look out of place. And she said when she goes to when she goes to India, the stuff that she wore in America looks heavy and wrong and dark. And then when she goes to New York, when she comes back, um, then, the, yeah, you just... She's like wearing something. she's like it's wearing like, uh, whatever they wear in India, and she's wearing it back to New York and getting off the plane there. And yeah, or you just also you, Heidi talks about this a lot about when you get dressed in the morning, you're dressing for a future. You're dressing to go into a future. You're anticipating a future and another city. If you're traveling to another city, that's that's a future you're anticipating. You're packing for it. But then when you get there, the reality of a place is always different from your imagination of it. So, what's your favorite fashion city, Leanne? Like, do you? I mean, you guys all you live in New York. Fashion city. I, I do know, live in New because York. Because I feel like when yeah. I get to New York, people are dressed up more coming from Los Angeles. Yeah. People look great. There's yeah. people in, and people are also out on the streets more, yeah. so you see more of it. But I always dress up more when I'm in New York. Just I don't because know. I like Yeah. I think I do I might do a little bit of that in London. Okay. I might bust out a tweed. Um but I feel I've never busted out a tweed in my <laughs> life. Try it. In all my in all my many years. <laughs> um <laughs> you might like it. Uh but I feel there's a little bit of a spirit there of experiment, yeah. and I love that. New York feels, I don't know, I feel that there's a 90s vibe in New York. There's a like black black clothes. Okay. And I don't, I even though it, it can look and feel like a sleek aesthetic, it's not totally mine. I'm Canadian, too, so the Commonwealth, okay. tweed, plaid, wool. Where in Canada? Um um, Mississauga, a suburb of Toronto. A suburb, okay. So, uh, Heidi, yeah. color, because she mentioned like New York City and black clothes. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, this is this matters. This matters. You know, like picking out because I feel like this. You know, like picking out a good color that that is becoming on you 
is important. Yes. Knowing what colors look good. Like that's a real thing. It like, is. It, and it, you know what's so funny? So uh, someone who responded to our survey brought up that book. Was it from the 80s, Color Me Beautiful? My pediatrician. <laughs> Leanne's pediatrician <laughs> brought up this book from the 80s. I think it was called Color yeah, Me Beautiful, mm-hmm. right? And you were – and it and it subdivided every everybody into like fall, winter, spring, summer. I think you were a season, right? And it was a way for you – for people to like discover what their color palette would be. And it was like suggesting to you what would be your most – yeah, I, I, I yeah. bought that book oh, after I read about it in the survey. And I was like, I, I kind of want to know my colors because that was a big thing. I remember that too yeah, from being yeah. a kid. And I bought the book and I read it and I just I could not figure it out. Like it gives you all these things that you're supposed to – Are you a, if you're a winter, you have dark hair and pale skin and you know jewel colors look good on you. And if you're an autumn, you're like a – and it was probably all white women, like white. It actually wasn't. Um, it was pretty. Good. It, it was pretty diverse that way. But like, I just couldn't figure it out, even with all the rules that they said. Well, this color, this color looks good on you. Yourself. This color looks good on you. I, what is yeah. this? Violet or what do you call that? I don't know. There's several colors. There's like a blue and a burgundy. Yeah. 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 I think you you might be a spring. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read the book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but my, my mom had this. Did your moms have this thing where to apply makeup, she had this mirror with light, two lighting bars on the side, and there's a, a slide across the bottom, and it had office, evening, <laughs> day. And I would sit there as like a nine year old and just be like, office, evening, <laughs> daytime. Like. <laughs> I need one of those. It was so fun. <laughs> well, okay. Mine would just be bedroom, living room, <laughs> kitchen, bathroom. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll go back to you. Bathroom, bathroom. <laughs> uh, Sheila, I'll go back to you. I want to talk. I want to talk about the conception of this book. And like in reading the introduction, it seems like it started at least as a seedling in your mind. Yeah, I uh, just. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say because uh, we were talking before we came on the air about how. Um, you know, just looking at this book, leafing through it, because it is one of those books that you can sort of just like pick your spot. You can open to any page almost and you, it's like a, you know, you have an experience or you could read it, you know, in, um, consecutive order. Yeah. Do you guys disagree or is that? No, no, it's totally true. You can, I mean, we ordered it so you could have a very good and satisfying experience reading it beginning to end. I kind of have this weird feeling like I don't want anybody to f- read everything in the book. Like I kind of want it to be one of those books that you can always come back to and find more. I feel like it's a book that women might read in the bathroom. Is that, is that like oh, a Oh, did you hear us? Did you just see us mouthing to each other? No. Oh, because Leanne just said bathroom to me. <laughs> well, okay, so when we first started to answer, um, people would send us questions um, for fashion blogs and stuff. And yeah. so at the, at the very first one we did, we thought, we're not going to look at each other's answers. We're just going to answer it and see. And one of the questions was, where do you... Um, yeah, where, or where do you imagine women reading this book? Or where do you hope women read this book? I can't remember the phrasing exactly. And all of us without checking with each other, said bathroom. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the least self-conscious place. Yes. Well, and okay. So, uh, Sheila, talk about the uh, original like kernel of this idea and where it came from. Well, I, I, I just realized this actually a few days ago because I was looking at, re-looking at the introduction and the first email that I sent to Heidi, which was one of the first emails about the book, was in April 2012. So I was sort of just publishing um, How Should a Person Be in the States. And I was getting my picture taken a lot, and I was doing a lot of readings. And I think that's when I started to think, like, People about myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> like, yeah. I left my house. Yeah. Um, and I, I, went, I, I thought, I've got to think about how to dress. How, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a person in the public. Um, 
And I went to the bookstore and I was like, I just want to figure this out. I'll just spend a day. I'll read this book and I'll figure it out. And there was no book that would could possibly give me any clues about how to dress in the fashion or style section. It was like pictures of Audrey Hepburn. Well, what am I going to do with that? You know, <laughs> um, like cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I, I went home and I thought, well, I'll just email a few friends and Leanne was on the list and so was Heidi. And I wrote them questions and the questions were like, what rules do you have for dressing that you wouldn't necessarily uh, recommend to others, but which are important to you? You know, what do you think about in the morning when when you get dressed, what's your, no, what's your process for getting dressed in the morning? So there was like six or seven questions. And I just thought, I'm going to pretend that I'm doing a article for a magazine. So I don't look like a crazy person. And I, 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 please answer these questions for this article that I'm writing. And then Heidi was like, answered the questions and sent them back to me. And they were so amazing to read, but she also said, well, why don't, you know, this could be a really good book. And do you want to collaborate? And Heidi and I worked together at The Believer, and I just love working with Heidi. And we hadn't worked together enough, so I was sort of, like, hungry for that. I was like, I would love to collaborate with Heidi. So very quickly, um, that sort of just spontaneously, there was a book in both of our heads. And we've talked about this before. Like, sometimes when a project begins, you can see the finished product. It's not through a mist. You know, it's not through a haze. It's just apparent. And I think for me, it was completely apparent and highly apparent. And Isn't that nice when that happens? I know. And then, and then right away also, it was also apparent that Leanne should be part of it. Um, I thought she could des- design it and put the pages together. I don't know what this kind of thing should look like. I just have a sense of what the word should be. And um, Leanne wanted to do it. And right away, there was this incredible chemistry and well, considering we how much yeah. well, considering how much material is in the book, because like this is another thing we were discussing is that uh, you start with an idea like that, and then it becomes this. It's a big book. There's yeah. a lot of material in it, so it's sort of metastasized into probably more than what you were anticipated originally it being. Correct? Yeah. Oh, it changed all the time, and I think that interestingly, there was this sense that oh, there's the book, right? It has to be a book, but also I think we never had a very. Um, uh, rigid conception of what that book had to mm-hmm. be and look like, right. how it had to read, what the experience was going to be in specific terms. And I think that we just continually, like the thing just changed and changed every single, I feel like every morning I would wake up to an email from Sheila or Leanne that would say, you know that thing we did and we thought was really good? I don't think it's good anymore. I don't think we should do that. I think we should do this. You know, So it was this constant kind of interrogation process um, that in a way I'm sort of sad it's over. I mean, this was really like, the book was so processed. It was such a, um, I mean, it's interesting that one of the questions that started it out was what's your process of getting dressed in the morning? Because then this book was a process of getting dressed in a weird way into the, into the shape of a book. Well, here's what, here's what it feels like when I'm like reading through it and I'm thinking about it is that it feels like you, you have this seedling of an idea. You have this kind of like itch that you need to scratch, like, and you're looking for a book that doesn't exist. So you're like, well, we're going to create it. And then you start talking and it's kind of like loose. And then you start sending out surveys and then it starts to get, it feels like it was really exciting for you guys. Like, was it that way? It's great that that comes through. Well, no, but it's like, it's like you have this idea and then there's the other thing. And I'm speaking from a very limited vantage point, And part of it is just me sort of uh, imagining or projecting. But, you know, based on what you said and what you write in the book about the book's origins, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of fashion books out there and there's a lot of like pie in the sky photos to look at where you can be like, oh, well, you know, nice to be six feet tall with like insane cheekbones or whatever. But, um, there's not a lot of like really, uh, intimate discussion of fashion. Yeah. And when I was thinking about, okay, I want to dress better. I wasn't thinking I want to dress like a woman in a magazine. I was thinking I want to dress like Leanne or Heidi or any of my female friends. It wasn't that I wanted to look like I was in a fashion magazine. And 
or that I wanted to just like, yeah, it was funny. We had an interview the other day with this woman and, um, on like morning TV in Toronto. And she said the way she dresses and who she is is a composite of all her friends. And I felt like that was, that's the book that we had in mind. You want to hear something funny? Like I will have fashion envy for certain guys. Oh. Like there's a dad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Like, <laughs> and I also think I also look. I also look to no. But I mean, like I'm not like soccer. I want. Okay. Your next fashion. That your book should be a fashion book just called "There's a Dad." This is. There's got to be so many people listening to this who are going to you know listen they're to like, me. Which dad is it? Is it me? <laughs> yeah. They're all hoping it's them. No, but there's a dad that I call to my wife. I'm like, God, hot dad is like so hot, and he's got like he's like one of these thin-hipped guys with long hair and like beautiful caramel skin, and like he just looks good, and I'm like. Fuck, I'll never, you know, but I'm always looking at what he's wearing. Like an acronym, Dad, I'd like to dress like. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> But it's also gay men. I've learned living in Los Angeles, especially, like, gay men know how to dress. And so, like, you know, um, my wife's friend, I mean, there are friends, but uh, when I met my wife, she had all these gay male friends. And suddenly I'm, like, going out and, like, I'm like, man, these guys look so fucking good all the time. And, and I learn. I learned just from watching them, and uh, I think that it's might a, be a good strategy. So, what did, can we hear? Like something specific that you learned? How to cuff? Yeah. How, to, how to cuff your shirt sleeves when you're wearing a uh, when a you're dress wearing shirt. a dress shirt? But tell us about that, Dad. What, about the dad? Yeah. Go back to the oh, the dad is just he's also, I think he's Australian. I don't know him very well, but he's like he's just a beautiful man, and he's got like the long. He looks good with long hair, which uh-huh. is a, very, a rarity among men. Mm-hmm. I think like five to ten percent of men can pull that off. Similar to a, a woman looking good with short hair. I don't think a lot of women can... I don't... You can You're do it. you one of them. <laughs> I'm really sorry to break it to you. I'm going to go. Uh, I should say Leanne has short hair. It um, looks amazing. Yes. And so... But I mean, like the pixie cut on a woman, you know, not everybody has the shape of face that can do that. And like yeah. guys... I used to have long hair. That was a disaster. I would not be with my wife if I had met her with my <laughs> ponytail, <laughs> and my rope necklace or whatever in college. So I get that. But this guy... Uh, great skin. Uh, he's got the accent, and it just looks like you know how people, certain people uh, wear their clothes really well. Yeah. They have that frame, and you're just like, ah, oh, it must be easy to fit. Yeah, Maybe something I- beyond a frame, though, because my um, my boyfriend's uh, niece, I guess, or like little cousin, um, she's probably three or f- well, she's maybe like five or six now. But when she was like three or four, even the way she wears clothes was seemed just special to me. And I kept noticing it. She loves clothes, but her body has a like looseness or comfort, mm. and I don't know what that is. We, we wanted to do a chapter in the book about photogenics. I'm not sure if that's a word, but about the quality of, um, you know, the, the quality of, of um, appearing good in clothes. Um, you, have, you have that, Leanna. Is it partly like Not athletic? in pictures. Is it, you, I feel like you do have that, and I wonder if it has to do with be, having been an athlete. Like, if there's some way that you're comfortable in your body, so the clothes... I don't know what it is. Well, it's funny, because I was trying to articulate this. So I have a 10-year-old, although I was trying to articulate this to her a couple of years ago. So she was probably, like, 8 or something, which tells you how early girls start to pay attention oh to other women on the yeah. street. And, um, and you know, we live in New York, so there's, you know, lots of model looking people there. And a model-type woman walked past, and, you know, my daughter is not going to have a body like that. I don't have a body like that, right? I mean, she, she has a beautiful body, but she's not going to be... Um, it's a freak. No, you know? And so and so she just said, oh, she made some comment about, 
it wasn't even envy, but some something where it was clear from how she was observing this woman, she understood her to be like the ideal body type. Already she understands Already. that. So I just said, um, I ended up having a whole conversation with her that um, that was trying to articulate what these guys are saying about how you look in your clothes, how you look in your body. And I said, you know, that woman, yeah, okay, if you just look at the shape of her, okay, yeah, I guess she's skinny and that's supposed to mean something valuable. But I was like, but I don't really find her that interesting to look at, quite frankly. Like, she's not really catching my eye. And then I was like, that woman over there, she is interesting to me and here's why. And I tried to unpack why that woman who did not look like a model, what she was, you know, it was a slouch or it was a comfort or... What is it? Because, I mean, I feel like women, I mean, I've obviously revealed myself as a guy who checks out other guys, and I think more guys do that than they would admit, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But women, I think, do this more than men. No? Yes? Women look at women. Women look at women. women Yeah, women check out women constantly. And why? Is it just just an innate gender? I mean, or is it the culture is telling you to do it? I think it's it's a mix. I mean, you look at, first you look at your mother because, you know, you're female, although men must look at their mothers too, but that's the connection. And then you, you know, you understand yourself to be either attracted to clothes or not, but there's a chapter in the book called women looking at women again, that, that sort of snippeted these, um, answers that all centered around this topic. It's one of our favorite, um, chapters. And there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different ways. One woman says, Sometimes I see a woman in the street, and I I kind of know I might be her friend. Like there's a kind of recognition. And another woman says later in the book that, you know, I dress for women to explain to them to not go near my man. So dressed sort of in a more really overtly sexual, sexual yeah. way. Or mm-hmm. and so there's the range of dressing the way a man lo- might find attractive, but it's actually a message for women. Do you know what I mean? There's there's like the... That's the- interesting, because I'm always curious. I mean, I'm fascinated by people who hypersexualize everything. You, you, you know people who do that. Sure. Everyone's <laughs> pointing at themselves. Uh, but no, it's like, you know, people who, like, you could be like, oh, this lunch is great. And they'd be like, yeah, like, this looks like a dick. And you're like, hey, right. wait, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, and then, like, they're constantly talking, about they're always turning the conversation back to sex. And then there are certain people... Uh, who wear really provocative clothes. And I think, you know, the, the easiest calculation to make is like, oh, you know, she's a, she's loose or she like, you know, I sound like my mother, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's, that's an interesting psychology. She's at, sometimes women are doing that to actually broadcast other women, stay away from the guy that I'm with. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I'll just, this just jumped to mind. A, a sort of byproduct of working on the book for me was that if I now see a woman, you know, in, in revealing provocative dress i'm much more curious and less inclined to go slutsky like i would not that i would have done it the first time but there are these snap things and just sort of places you kind of slot people and the book was so good for that because it's sort of it and also it it does have to do with if i can speak about this the design of it because we don't show pictures of women we only hear their voices, and it was a very right. deliberate design decision. Why? Just because you don't want people just leafing through looking at the photos, or because there's too much minimization of it, it would, humanity? It, it would interfere culture. with the, the the sound of their voices. Sheila, sort of when you read, if you read a book and it's I, because the whole book is I, because people are writing surveys, um, that I becomes your I. You think if you read I dress 
provocatively because my mother was conservative and I, I don't want to be anything like my mother. Right. You sort of feel like that I is you, so you empathize. But if you see a picture of a woman and the caption is under it, you think, oh, I'm not that woman. You make a judgment about her. I like her. I don't like her. She's smart. She's not smart. She's like me. She's not like whatever you're doing. And then that I becomes stuck to her rather than sticks to you. That's a good, yeah, that's smart. That's smart. And like, you know, the other thing I would say about people who dress provocatively, just so so I don't sound like a total prude or whatever, is that I admire people who have the courage to go out and like, and like whether it's like sexy dressing or it's just people who are, have the courage to go out in like leather pants and like stand Mm -hmm. out. I had, yeah. One of, sorry, one of the, um, one of the interviews that me, or one of the conversations me and Sheila taped, I think Sheila's got me saying, I really admire when women show the tops of their boobs. Just the tops. Just the I sort admire of like, too. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like that sort of like. So much admiration yeah. for those women. Mozzarella kind of like yeah. thing. Because I don't. I can't yeah. do that. No, yeah. I, I, it's so not me. Wanna... And I want that confidence. I want that. Well, you know... the other night I was having dinner with a buddy. At a, we were sitting at the bar watching the game. Like it could not be a more bro like mm-hmm. situation. But we're at the bar and a lot of times bartendresses mm. will show cleavage and you, they're trying to get tips. At least in L.A. That's what you think. That's what I think. That's what you. That's your assumption. Well, but you I should. Mean, they're hot, and yeah. they just don't want to be like maybe. Cover. But yeah. this was like the push up, and like it was like uh-huh. it, it was too much. Like for us, we were both like, I can't deal. Like every time she comes over, we're just like, like you know how you're straining really hard to make eye contact, and then it becomes like awkward because yeah. of the, you know. Yeah, but you know, I think what's interesting about that, and and uh, you know, I again, like I think we there's a message that we think we're getting from somebody who is wearing a, a push-up bra or right. s- showing a lot of skin. And um, and what we learned from this book is that I bet if you were to sit down with that woman and ask her a couple of questions, that wouldn't necessarily be the reason that she did that. Or that might yeah. be like maybe the top level of the reason why she did that. But you could keep prying down and you could get a really interesting story out of her. And so I, I also, in this sort of uh, what Leanne was saying about how I don't have this snap judgment um, tendency so much anymore. I'll see, see a woman walking down the street and uh, maybe wearing something provocative. And I'll I'll try to see, like, does she look comfortable in that outfit? Does she look confident in that outfit? Does she look happy in that outfit? I try to sort of ascertain how that outfit is interacting with her emotions. And sometimes it matches up and it looks like it's making her feel really great. And sometimes it doesn't match up. And, and so I, I feel that I have become more um, curious about... As opposed to judgmental. As opposed to judgmental, because it, that is a very flat message that... Um, that well, it's actually, not a, it wasn't a flat message. It's not a flat <laughs> message. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very rote, you know, right? round. It's a, uh, but it's a, it's almost like a rote, beha- it's a, it's a rote behavior or it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a code that actually doesn't necessarily only mean Well, and the other thing to say means. too is that if a, you know, if a woman is, is doing that to, because she thinks she makes more money and tips from guys, but she also invites, I mean. Uh, more harassment. I'm sure there are plenty of guys who leer at her or who say rude things. And- I don't really dress in a body revealing way, but p- part of me thinks maybe it's just occurring to me right now that that's an undervaluing of the body, and that's a sort of mm. weird thing. Like, why don't I value the body more? Like, I value faces, I value conversation, I value thoughts. Like, and I kind of completely undervalue the every the body, and it's 
Not that, all not all cultures do that. I feel like in wasn't it like in Brazil, like women are a lot less. There's a lot less body shame in certain cultures. It's not even yeah. shame. It's just like I don't even see the importance of it. It's not shame. It's just well, that's kind of irrelevant. Like I'm, it's sort of a detachment or something. I, I like when people their bodies are like an important part of their life, and mm-hmm. you can see, you see that in the way that they dress. And I'm not sure. It's it's, it's well, it's it's cool when someone is uh, not self-conscious and they yeah. can walk yeah. around in, in a revealing outfit or a, like for instance a guy like taking your shirt off in public I'm not good at that like mm. I'm and I have this whole joke that I always tell where I'm like you know I should not go to the beach there's a, like there's like 3% of the population that belongs at the beach and then there should be bleachers for people like me <laughs> but you isn't could, but isn't it also nice to see someone who doesn't, doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, and that unselfconsciousness is actually has its own beauty, I, I know. think. I've just, you know, and, and I, I was reading attractive. an interview with you, um, and this is sort of a weird uh, turn to take, but you, you mentioned it in the interview. You're like, I think you said when you were younger, you used to go to North Carolina to nude hot springs? Yes, to Northern California. Northern California. To nude hot springs. So you can do that. Or you, you know, I can do that. Yeah, you don't give a shit. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Um, and I, I love being, um, you know, the reason that I brought up that, uh, uh, tendency of mine <laughs> from an earlier <laughs> period in life is uh, is I you know you would hang out at these nude hot springs with these people all day in Northern California and yeah. you'd meet naked you would meet each other without your clothes on. What's that like? It's amazing, you know. You just don't care, it's yeah. just so amazing, and also there are all sorts of different body types, and it's Northern California too, so it's a there you know there's not the same. People aren't shaving. People are, you know, it's just like bodies. There they are, you there know. Are. And there's, uh, but anyways. But what was alarming was to leave this little naked hot tub sanctuary, and you'd go to your room, <laughs> and for some reason you had to cook with your clothes on. There was like a communal kitchen, and you were not allowed to be naked, Around maybe for food. safety reasons. Yeah. No, good. <laughs> um, I like that. You were not allowed to cook without your clothes on. So suddenly you would be with these people, and they would be clothed, and it was like we couldn't even talk to each other. We were so awkward. Yeah, we just suddenly everybody just looked so naked with their clothes on. That's interesting. There's a there's a like hot water spa or whatever in Toronto, and people women go and they're naked, and it's so strange. You have to go to the change room afterwards and see what their clothes are, and you have such a different impression and then of judge them. them. Yeah. Well, and and also just think. There, there was something more beautiful about the nakedness, not because you couldn't judge and because you didn't have that much information about yeah. them except for like their face and the way they moved. I don't know. It's there is something. Women, women are having. I think women have an easier time being naked around one another than men, though. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I feel like guys are always like you know like trying to. There's more like uh, paranoia or something sure, you know about. I'm not huh. trying to look at you. And, like, women just hang out in the locker room and talk. I'm, I'm imagining this. Yeah, in your fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> they braid each other's hair. Yeah, I just women like seeing each other's bodies. Like, you're kind of curious. and Yeah, see, guys, it's like, I'm not looking at your dick, man. You're like, I'm not <laughs> looking at it. Yeah, and it's like, it's that whole thing in the locker room, I think. So yeah. uh, I want to ask about privilege, too, because this is a component of fashion that is important uh, to consider, and it's something that I often think about. And I'll give you one specific example uh, one of my few, you know, there's a small handful of, of buddies, straight guy, really into clothes, openly talks about designers. You know, he's like, oh, this is a Thomas Pink shirt. That's a, that's a guy, right? Thomas Pink. A brand. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. brand. Okay. Um, he is also a man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like things like that, like I would just never, I'd be like, who's that? You know, who's Thomas Pink? And now I'm thinking about it because he's mentioned it. But um, he also happens to have a lot of money. And so it's like, okay, you have time 
to sit around and like go through and figure out what you like. Being good at fashion requires time, and then being able to actually acquire nice things requires money, usually, right? Well, we, we had a question in the survey. Um, uh, what's your favorite piece of jewelry or something like that? And a person wrote, and she's like, well, that implies that you have more than one piece, that you have any jewelry at all. And I think there is, there is, you do need some leisure, and you do need some money, and it is, it is not, it's like not something that you're going to, I think, I mean, not that you can't spend mon- time thinking about it if you don't have money, not that you can't acquire clothes if you don't yeah. have much money, but I do think there is an element of leisure to, to thinking about it personally. Well, and I also have a friend who does not, I mean, he has a lot of leisure time, though, because it's kind of interesting. They always have interesting financial situations when they can think about clothes, but he does a lot of, like, thrift store shopping, and he does a lot of, like, very, he's a bargain hunting, he's one of those uh, Brooklyn photographer guys. I, here's an interesting point, too. I have a lot to say about fashion, as it turns out. Um, I have found that f- photographers are often good-looking. Maybe they like look at their faces in the mirror as they're growing up or something, and but their like, faces become better looking because they change the shape of their face from looking at it so much. I don't know. I kind of feel like the shape of your face sort of changes or just, in ways that you want it. Don't you feel like... I kind of feel like... Or it, it changes based on your personality or something. Like if you're a happy like joy loving person your face is going to look different than if you're a gloomy person maybe not the way that you want or if you want people to look at your eyes and you're like embarrassed about your you know other parts maybe your eyes i kind of feel like your body distorts according to who you are and maybe gradually yeah. over your life well and if people are taking photos and they're constantly like, like their job is to essentially make people look good if they're portraitists or if they're fashion photographers or they're doing it like my buddy works in that line of work where he's doing like these glossy magazine fashion photos and so he just has a better vocabulary for that stuff. He's also got the, like the he's a handsome dude. So like he, you know. There's also if you're working in that milieu or industry, I mean, he has to court the clients who are go- who work in the fashion industry who are going to look him up and down yeah. when they come to his studio right. and trust him with their aesthetic. And so that's probably something to do with it. So they'll he'll get the job more exactly, likely. Exactly, exactly. So it's like survival. Hot people, hot people want to be photographed by hot people. <laughs> yeah, or just <laughs> like you get me loop. right. Like you want, like we're having. Of course, a, of course. My mom's. Can I just? The, my mom did, told me this thing when I was pregnant. She's from the Philippines, and she said, "Oh, I have this friend back home who only looked at pictures of beautiful, beautiful people when she was pregnant, so that her child." would be beautiful mm. and it it's this spooky like really but also there's this sort of dream to it and strange it's, kind of fav- like something that a lot of parents don't necessarily discuss is the, the the hope or the wish that your child is attractive mm-hmm. because you love the child no matter what yeah. but it's an easier world i think oftentimes for people who are attractive not always there are downsides but yeah i mean it's kind of a cruel truth Heidi? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess... Oh, sorry. I guess I feel like um, being the mother of two children, um, you start to see that that maybe obstacles to ease might create even more dynamic, interesting people, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I, I do feel like we live, or I am fortunate enough to live in a situation where I think my kids have a really fucking easy, good life. And so, and, and you start to see that, that, that might not produce the most capable, interesting person. Yeah. And so I know, yes, could 
it's I, like it's like memoirist envy yeah. where I like read about somebody who is like raised by carnies and I'm like, damn, they have so much to write about. <laughs> this is kind Their of shitty yeah. life is so literary, like yeah. you know. But I mean, it's like having a. I mean, we talk about this too when um, when. Uh, we would be uh, given something, you know, we've, we've been doing a lot of these swap meets um, when we do our events here and people will come and bring a piece of clothing and you attach a story to it. And there's usually some great story about how this, a lot of times the clothing almost acts as some kind of material irritant to this person's life. And they kind of like try to try to form themselves around this material irritant, you know, and sometimes that ends up having really positive results. And sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm going to give this to somebody else. Right. <laughs> it's either a pearl or right. Um, yeah. Someone's dinner. Yes. <laughs> so so uh, I want to talk to you guys too about, I think, was it the guardian review? Like the review that you guys responded to? Yeah. I want to get the paper. Yeah. Right. US. Yeah. It was not the British Guardian. It was the American Guardian website. Okay. Yeah. So this is interesting, interesting to me on multiple levels. But Leanne, why don't you just like explain like broadly what happened and then we'll get into the questions. Okay. Well, it appeared that the reviewer um, had taken a look at the book, had taken a look at the flap copy where um, one is usually required to sort of boast a little as you would understand about flap copy we put the we put the contributors there who had high profile um she so she appeared to take a look at that first you know come to some conclusions go into the book and she seemed to read the book um looking for the kind of diversity that she cared about and um she wrote a review saying that the book wasn't multi you know, cultural or multiracial enough. Yeah. And then you guys actually responded to the review and this, I, I almost wish I saw more of this. I know that like, well, we, we had to, we were not speaking for ourselves. We were speaking for 639 very racially diverse women. And it's different. Yeah. If it was for me, like a book of fiction and somebody had given it a bad review, right? I, that's different than if I'm the editor of a book, like Leanne said, with like 600 women in it, you feel protective of, of yeah. this of them or yeah. and they worked hard they took their time hours to fill out the survey or to talk to somebody they you know put their jobs on the line by review you know by talking to certain journalists and i found your letter persuasive and i found yeah. that the review seemed a little bit knee-jerk personally well you know what i mean i i think it what the interesting conversation to come out of that experience i think is the notion of diversity. And I think some people have a not so diverse notion of what constitutes diversity and diversity itself is a fairly diverse term for us. Diversity meant not just racial diversity. It meant socioeconomic diversity. It meant religious and cultural diversity. It meant, um, you know, uh, we wanted people who worked as farmers and who people, people who worked as bankers and soldiers. So Lena Dunham, and I people mean, who were Lena Dunham, yeah. you know, and and so we wanted to get at, we wanted to throw as wide a net, um, and yes, like Rachel, when people use the word diversity, typically that is the unspoken qualifier is racial diversity. Um, we did care about that, and the book is certainly very racially diverse, but that I mean, yeah. wasn't the only kind of diversity that mattered to us. Yeah, that makes sense, and and I. I uh... It's so hard to get right. I mean, 639 contributors, like you never, I mean. We, yeah, yeah, we didn't. It's not perfect. I mean, I think that we did everything that we could to follow all the 
I mean, the ideal book would have every single woman in there. It'd be like a Benetton. This wasn't a census. This wasn't anything scientific. I mean, look at us. Like, you know, novelists, illustrators. Like, this was something to do much more about the spirit of conversation between women, about surprising each other, about being curious, than about we have to you know, get even pie slices of society. And so people can shoot holes through it, like go right. for it. You sure. know, like it, it, it has a spirit that we're so proud of because as authors, we were surprised by so many people's answers and by how people answered these questions, you know, that had to deal with clothes, but weren't being asked in a fashion media that's yeah. out there. Well, well, no, I mean, it's, the, the book has been doing really well. And um, I won't call it an anthology. I know I could get in trouble for doing that. And we, we should talk more about exactly what you guys can, you know, think, you know, define it as. I think the word crowdsourced came out. Well, I don't know. For me and anthologies, you say, you know, it, it would have been an anthology if we had said, we're doing a book about clothes. Please send us essays about clothes. And then we put them all together. One thing we made sure to do was everybody that we asked to contribute to the book, Leanne had designed a mock-up of the book. So they all knew what the thing was going to look like. So everyone had a sense of sort of being a creator uh, from the inside rather than just submitting from the outside. And By presenting that visual. That's interesting yeah. from a bookmaking perspective. Yeah. yeah, because visuals can kind of convey tone. They can also, what we were trying to do too is invite these contributors to be more experimental. Like, look, here's, you know, Tavi doing this specific thing. Here's someone who's just a cat. Tavi Gevinson. Tavi Gevinson, who's just looking at, who, whose entire prose piece is internet language, Katie Kinmura. Um, so by looking, by showing other contributors those things, we were inviting much more form-breaking um, pieces. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Most of the book we we put together from the surveys, or we interviewed people that we found from the surveys or in other ways. So a lot of the material was generated by us. So again, not like an anthology where there isn't a, I don't know, like the seeking of the authors like on the page. You guys seem like you're super well connected. I mean, like every there's a lot of, I mean, a, a huge variety. But then you got some really high profile people. Like, a lot of people said no, though. Yeah. Did they? Oh yeah. Who we, said no? I mean, it was that some people, survey. Some people didn't want to be part of a conversation about clothing. They didn't. Because I I think there is still a, a sense that if you're an intellectual woman, you shouldn't think about it and you shouldn't care about it. Maybe that's changing now, and I think it is changing now. But that definitely is, is that like the a frivolous female concern, you know, typically. And if you're if you don't want to be a frivolous woman, you separate yourself from that. So I think a lot of intellectual women didn't want to be part of it for that reason. Who's somebody, I mean, give me, an, give me one intellectual woman who didn't want to do it. Oh well, I asked Anne Hollander, but then she passed away. Um, oh, that was sorry. How that probably would have been. I mean, she, she that, that was that came out yeah. wrong. But yeah. she wrote an incredible. We really yeah. wanted her. I mean, she wasn't yeah. in a position to contribute. Sadly, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, I mean, but I think what you're getting at it is sorry is the um, is this idea of. Uh, of what it means to care about clothes, right? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes we would have to try to rephrase the invitation we were making to people because you would say, hey, we're writing a book about clothes. And the response would be, well, I don't care about clothes, right? Yeah. And the, and sometimes these would be people who they're not caring. That 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 could be broken down into a, a bunch of different kind well, of subcategories of not caring too. Some of it is... Not caring is caring. Well, yes, no, but... It's, not even, it's also interesting. Like, what, then yeah. tell us about yeah, you're not caring, yes. you know? Because right. we don't only want... This is not a book of fashionistas. Mm -hmm. It's a book of people that are on a spectrum of 
caring to not caring. Yes. You know? Yeah. So anyways, yeah. So we basically had to sort of rephrase the invitation and say, okay, you got up this morning, you stood in front of your closet, you made a decision about what to put on your body. What informed that decision process? So, okay. So you talk about women who think that conversations about fashion are frivolous. Uh, is that like a, a strong feminist I think, stance? No, I think this book... Who of- falls into that category? Like how in, the, in, the, in the context of women and you know, women's issues and women's studies... We're like all feminists, so it, it's... Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's... I think, it's a, I think the, this book erodes it. I think the really, you know, um, really smart uh, journals... There are really smart journals out there who are publishing very good writing about this. Warren Journal's one. Um, Rookie's another... Um, I think I think that tendency is going. Um, I think it was Chimamanda Adichie who wrote in Elle magazine about how that has shifted, how she's kind of um, is owning her love of clothes more because that's who she is. Anything that is more associated with women than men is typically something that you're not supposed to spend much time thinking about. If you, I mean, thinking about childcare, or thinking about motherhood, or thinking about clothes or thinking i mean Mm -hmm. there's there's so much taboo and it's funny because i do think on one level there is this sense that people are taking or or understand that fashion is not de facto a frivolous topic i mean i think in many cases any topic could or could not be frivolous depending on how you treat it and approach it right right um uh, and uh but but i have noticed i don't know if you guys have noticed this but i do feel when people will say oh why are you in town what are you doing here oh i have a book that I did with my my friends. Um, what what's it called? And I say women in clothes. And you can see a, a certain portion of the population just start to make an assumption about what that book is about. Right. And it's kind of fascinating. It's fa- it's fascinating that we're talking about like what's the, the, the snap what's... judgments that are made. Well, men instantly are like, not for me. Fashion book. Fashion book. <laughs> yes. Right, and right. you know, yeah. And and I and I've found myself, or I, I was living with a bunch of academics while I was working on this book, and I and women and men, and I actually had to really tor- really try quite hard. I found to convince them that this was a topic that might interest them that was not. A frivolous topic. Well, and it's like the book reads, um, I mean, there are actual email exchanges and text exchanges and Skype exchanges that read like conversations. But like the word that comes to mind for me, uh, reading it is conversation. It has that feel. You're hearing because it's multiple voices and people are talking uh, in a really candid way. Some of the writing is transcripts. So it feels like that there's kind of like a, a juice to the language that, you know, is like the spoken word, you know. Would you buy it for a man? I would buy it for a certain man, you know, like mm-hmm. it's the kind of book that like I actually enjoy <laughs> to my own surprise, you know, because you're, you're digging into something that we all think about kind of whether we like it or not, but you're not coming at it. Like you say, from like a high fashion perspective or these people yeah. who like go to fashion shows and like understand the catwalk or, you know, to me that is like, uh, you know, I can kind of see it as a spectacle and I think that there's a lot of beauty to it, but like, I'm much more interested in people talking about what they wear every day than trying to decide, you know, figure out like who, which designer is going to dictate the season or whatever. Yeah, you know? and the book is about like sweatshop politics, and it's about your relation, women's relationship with their mothers, and it's about so many areas of life. Like I feel like the clothes are uh, a way into talking about life and your experience growing up, presenting in the world, being a human among other humans, like. That it, it's not a book about like 
you know, this shirt, this dress, this shirt, this skirt, this, these shoes, not at all. At a certain point, um, an editor said, oh, we need more clothes in the book. And I think we kind of ignored, we, well, we, I put more collections, those groups of, those groups of clothes, um, things that women bought in multiple in the book. But I think those stood far, far greater as portraits than, um, than talking about articles. Well, and I think, you know, the other thing that occurred to me uh, when I was reading this is that, you know, as much as your book strays from typical assessments of fashion or strays from the contents of your typical glossy fashion magazine in a lot of senses, I feel like the people, like an Anna Wintour, um, you know, whoever the people are, (laughs) Andre Leontali, I mean, I know people in fashion who are sort of titans of the industry and who make their living from it, designers, I feel like they, in 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 terms of getting to know their customers better or getting to know the world better, would love your book. I feel like your book is like an X-ray of the right. the commoners out there, who, to whom they are trying to sell their like down market label. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. also another thing like fashion magazines come at I think it from a point of status. Like how can you, you can convey your status this season? And for us, we're fiction writers and artists and illustrators and. For us, you know, all kinds of, whenever you write a book, it comes out of a deep mystery, right? And I think for me anyways, the mystery is like, we are bodies, you know, and we have to put clothes on our bodies and that's weird. And how do we do it? And why do we do it in the way that we do it? So that's for me, like one of the questions that really um, was the engine behind this book, because I'm not really somebody who cares about clothes. And yet I could still be working on this book because it was so, so interesting. And the mystery has not been solved. It feels that way. Do you guys, uh, here's another confession. Do you guys like ever watch those fashion documentaries? Did you ever watch like the September issue or the one about Valentino or any of that stuff? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I love documentaries about fashion. I love it. Well, the difference between, yeah. Is that the, funny? Yeah. Well, yeah. Why? Just I, because I, because I, because I, mean, I, just because you're a man washing. I mean, again, it feels not like to, I'm with my to, wife. Okay. So, she has so what say, interests you about it? The, the characters, the okay. people. That's yeah. right. It's well, that's like, what it is. Who's the redhead at Vogue? Who's, Coddington. Gail Coddington. Grace. 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 She's, I mean, super winning in that movie. She's sort of like the one you really connect to emotionally. But she makes a very, um, what's the word, uh, convincing case for the importance of fashion. And she, you know, the people who poo-poo it and say that it doesn't mean anything and that, you know, this whole thing is silly. She defended it. And I wish that I could even paraphrase it well. But I remember feeling like, shit, she's right. Like what they're doing isn't completely stupid and like worthy of like a hundred percent of my scorn. Sure. Some of it might be, but like, these are artists. Yeah. These it's people an who, art. cre- who create clothes are artists the same as I'm an artist trying to do whatever I do. And there's extremely genius, you know, game changing people working in that industry and they, right. they're being recognized hopefully. Um, well, think about, think about this. This is a thing that occurred to me is that somebody is a great fashion designer and you know, we all, you guys write a book or you, you edit a book and the book goes out and, you know, all of us who make creative work are hoping in some way to impact the culture somehow. And it's a great thrill to someone's like, I saw someone read your book on the subway. You're like, Ooh, you know, that's fun. If you're a musician, I'm sure if like you are at a restaurant and like your song comes on the stereo, it's like, Oh my God. (laughs) I Uh, saw someone thumbs down your song. (laughs) I saw someone like dancing unhappily to your song. Uh, but it's like, uh, imagine being someone who works in fashion and you really see it and, ha- and having mass. and having the the women who you give your clothes to appear on radio. Yes, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but those descriptions were so vivid. Yeah. The descriptions were so vivid. 
uh, you know, before we wrap up, um, this book is doing really well. And I think you guys are touching a nerve. I mean, do you get a sense of that? Totally. Yeah. Did yeah. it surprise, yeah. has it surprised you? Or did you expect uh, as you were working on it? We tried to make a book that people would like, that we would like, yeah. and and that's all you can do. Yeah. So, yeah do I sound yeah. like a dick? I don't mean no, to like talk but, it down. Uh, no, but no. I mean I think another reason maybe why we're not surprised is not because we're cocky or um, egotistical. It's because unlike most books that you write and you write and you write and you write and then you send them out into the world, we went and contacted all of our potential readership and brought them in and made them parts of the book, and um, and and we saw how excited they were, how how. Um, uh, how they just felt that no one had asked them questions like this ever before in their lives about clothing. Um, and we just thought, okay, well, if these women are so excited about this, then that you... seemed to be an indicator that once we were able actually published it and people could read it, that that excitement would continue. That's cool. And I mean, like doing a crowdsource book, I mean, cause obviously working alone and being like locked away, there's, there's pleasure to that, but it's lonely. This, yeah. this must have been maybe more fun. It, we, on this whole tour, we just keep talking about maybe we should write another book. And then we're like, no, 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 we have to do our own projects. Yeah, right. But it's like, I think we're all going to miss working together. And we just, it also like a book... Traveling around uh, together has been... Leanne's dad said the most adorable thing. He said afterwards he came up to us. Her dad lives in Toronto. And um, and he just said, it just looks like you guys had so much fun together working on this book. And I feel like that was actually the the most incredible compliment that we'd yet received. Yeah. And it, and it, it also just... A lot of the women in it had fun answering that survey or sort of said it sound, it felt like therapy and you can an, you can still answer the survey on our website what is your what, website plug the website womeninclothes.com okay yeah wait tell about that oh yeah well what would the Toronto launch not only because people we have heard people say filling out the uh, survey felt like therapy well but one was like after I filled out the survey I had to go to my therapist and talk about it <laughs> <laughs> you need therapy for therapy yeah. well maybe I'll fill this survey out yeah it, I mean it's, it's, it's kind of self-revelatory I mean that maybe sounds like too strong of a word but you just actually get you feel pretty solid about yourself afterwards all this stuff that maybe felt really kind of pixelated and frayed about yourself you actually feel oh i understand my boundaries better and but it, you know it's like it seems like one of those things that like you just sort of know what you like but you never really hold it under a microscope yeah. and like take a look at it and i think that's kind of what you do in therapy i think people maybe this could be your next crowdsource book i mean i have no idea if this would interest you but what comes to mind as a parallel is money <gasps> before we came to meet you that's all we talked about it's similar because it's something you use every day it's in your pocket you're constantly doing and you don't talk about it if you ever like get somebody like a financial advisors Sue Zorman uh would would tell you that you should interview her for our next book well when people when she sits people down it's traumatic to actually look at your own finances and to like be like okay how do I spend money and what does this mean and to take a holistic look at it maybe something similar to clothing like you just kind of do it and they're You and know? you don't think about it and it's reflexive, but actually there's all this stuff beneath it and all the stuff beneath it is an expression of who you are and how you move through the world. And, and that's interesting. As the same yeah, thing with money, which is yeah. one of the reasons why there's all this money around this room right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have $100 bills keep, tacked to the wall. Why do you keep piles of money on your floor? <laughs> gold ingots. What are these gold ingots doing yeah, that we're sitting and on? All these gold chains that I'm wearing. It's. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to my doctor about this. 
<laughs> ladies, it's been so fun talking with you. It's such a thrill to have all of you here. And uh, this is the first time I've ever interviewed three people. How'd it work out, do you think? It worked out great. I mean, microphone you guys. Microphone weirdness. We're going to edit. I'm going to do some microphone weirdness editing. We're going <laughs> to fix it. But um, congratulations. Thanks for making the time. And best of luck Thank on the you. rest of the tour. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right, there we go. That is Sheila Hetty, Heidi Julevitz, and Leanne Shapton. Their book is called Women in Clothes. It's out there now from Blue Rider Press. Uh, it, it, to be fair, it's them and 600-plus other women writers. Did I say that correctly? There's a lot of uh, voices in this book. It is polyphonic, if that's an appropriate way to put it. Uh, you can check out their website, womeninclothes.com, and you can follow the book. You can actually follow the book on Twitter. Uh, it's got its own handle, at Women in Clothes. And then, of course, you can track down uh, Sheila and Heidi and Leanne uh, individually online at their various uh, online homes, if they have them. I think they have them. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the uh, good music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget to go get the app. This program has its own app, uh, in case you weren't aware, the official Other People app. It's available wherever apps are available. It's the best and easiest way to listen. You get the app, you download it to your device, and then the most recent 50 episodes of this program are there for you free of charge. They automatically upload. You don't have to do anything. And then, uh, better yet, uh, you also can get access to the deep archives. You can stream all the episodes by signing up for premium right there within the app. That's where you sign up, right there within the app. It's very cheap. So go get the app if you're so inclined. And uh, sign up for premium and support the show. If you want to email me, uh, the address is letters at otherppl.com. I do enjoy uh, hearing back from people. Let me know what you think. What do you think about my fashion knowledge? I kind of feel like I know more than I let on. I sort of surprise myself. I'll watch a fashion documentary. I don't give a shit. It's actually interesting. I swear to God. Like the level of... Uh, excess you know these people live large these fashion designers please remember that uh, Beethoven washed excessively and that Voltaire's second wife was his own sister's daughter that is it for now uh, thank you for listening thanks again to Sheila and Heidi and Leanne uh, for coming over and sitting down to talk about uh, stuff that I don't know anything about it was an education and uh, I hope you guys liked it. Hope you got something out of it. I hope I uh, have provided sustenance. <laughs> what am I talking about? You know what I mean. And, uh, you know, I'll be back in a couple days with another episode. Maybe I'll talk about literary scandal. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Do you want me to talk about it? Let me know. Do you want me to not talk about it? Let me know that too. All right. My uh, my daughter, four years old, had a heart murmur. She had to go see a pediatric cardiologist, which freaked us out. Even though heart murmurs are usually no big deal, and this one, thankfully, is what, what's called an innocent murmur. But uh, she was very frightened about the doctor's visit and what was going to happen. And uh, she calls her heartbeat her heart beep, <laughs> which is very endearing and uh, heartbreaking. Telling me that, you know, she's like, Daddy, I gotta go to the doctor and find out if my heart beep is okay. You don't ever want to hear your kids say stuff like that. 
FYI. My heart beep. My heart is beeping. I'm just gonna keep talking until the end of this song. I'm trying to sync this up. Create the illusion of professionalism, as if this is all orchestrated. The music, the vocals, <laughs> the rambling tail end monologue that nobody listens to. That's why I think I like this part the best. It's really talking into the void. What are you doing here? <laughs>